near the house. You have that seal? Fantastic. That wasn't so bad. Oh, you don't know, do you? Um, sorry. Where did you come from? It doesn't matter where from, but more where we're going. Well, that doesn't help things. Fire cleanses all. The heat can scorch away the evil. They said it was for good. Sorry, miss. Who are you? Abby. My mom called me Abigail. The fire reveals all. Into the dark you can find light with fire. The father said so. Are you okay, Abby? Can we help you? The fire cleanses all! For my own good, purify. <laughs> Where are your parents? You will always be found. That was weird. Wonder how she became mad. Definitely spoke too soon about it not being so bad. <laughs> If this is a taste of what's to come, then I think we are in for a ride. Let's go to the next door. A Man Called Boogie Written by Hunter Charneski Narrated by James Barnett birds. He could hear birds. He laid in darkness, listening to the birds for several hours before realising the darkness wasn't all that dark. It was reddish and moving and peaceful. It reminded him of his childhood. Saturday morning. No school and no church. The day he got to sleep late. The one day of the week he could wake up a little at a time. At his leisure. He would lay with his eyes shut and see nothing but a deep scarlet that was Saturday sunshine being filtered through the delicate screen of capillaries in his eyelids. He would listen to the birds in the old oaks outside and maybe the dank dew clinging to the blades of grass because his name was Anthony Boogie O'Neill and he was seven years old on a Saturday morning in Oconto Falls, Wisconsin. Birds could hear birds. But this wasn't a Conto Falls. It was Milwaukee. Downtown Milwaukee at that. He puzzled over the sound of birds in the red darkness for several minutes before he smelled something that could only be described as death. God, 
His eyes flashed open. Then he threw the covers away and swung his legs off the bed. He reached for the window and pushed it more than half open, startling a small squadron of pigeons. What died last night? He said, wafting fresh air into the room. Or last month, rather. Waking up a little at a time, on his short trip back to the bed, he dragged a hand down his face, feeling the deep and rigid lines resulting from harsh lessons in maturity over the years. Please. A hoarse voice came from the street just outside his two-story townhouse. He pushed himself to stand and walked to the window. Please, allow me. A man dressed in a black auto shop uniform called out to an elderly man across the narrow street. God, he looked familiar. He was helping him load a large clay flowering pot into the bed of his navy blue Silverado. The scene below reminded Anthony of the days when he worked for two men in a truck, stopping by his old man's house every now and again to help move things in and out whenever he could. The job wasn't anything to write home about, but in his mind it was a man's job. Not to mention, it helped pay his way through college. Had he gone to college, that is. A real man uses his hands. He heard his father between his ears. When the pot had been lifted, the good Samaritan pressed the tailgate shut and accepted the elderly man's handshake, pumping it twice before looking over his shoulder directly at Anthony. His skin was dove grey, almost pallid, under the early morning sun, and his eyes were hardly visible, dark pits shrouded behind long string-like bangs, sunken into deep and black pockets of flesh under a browless shelf. Acting on instinct, he broke the stranger's glare and pulled the drawer out on his nightstand where a 9mm with a flashlight mounted to the bottom rail idled. He grabbed the pistol. When he turned back to the window, the good Samaritan and the elderly man were gone. He tapped his forefinger on the pistol's slide twice, then looked down at it, seeing double as tears threatened. He turned it over in his hands once. Then again, what the hell, he muttered, then pressed the end of the barrel against his temple. He slid a jittering finger over the trigger and the Mr. Coffee machine coughed downstairs. Don't remember prepping coffee last night, he said. Did I? Did I? When he made it to the bottom of the staircase, he cocked his head like a dog might. The fuck? He stared at the deadbolt knob on the front door. It was vertical instead of horizontal. He frowned, then shook any intruding thoughts away as he turned the knob clockwise and kept walking through the quaint living room and toward the kitchen. Waiting for him next to the Mr. Coffee was a manuscript. Stuck on top was a pink post-it note with the words, read me. Did I write that? He thought. If I did, I don't remember. Sure as shit's my handwriting, though. The Mr. Coffee coughed again, rocketing hot vapour from underneath the lid like a bursting radiator. His phone vibrated on the mm. kitchen counter behind him. There was a new voicemail. He thumbed the unlocked slide on the screen to see who it came from. Concert crawled up his spine, pricking the hairs on the nape of his neck. The hell's going on? He thought as the phone screen read, new voicemail from Boogie. Hey, Tony. <laughs> A familiar voice began. 
followed by a sinister sort of laugh that went on and on like an unfurling ribbon. Just calling to touch base to see where things are at with that story I dropped off yesterday. Can't tell you how much it means to me that you're willing to read it over before I send it off to my publisher. You've always been a good Samaritan. Now where was I? Ah. Yeah. All it's missing is an ending. Which is exactly why I wanted your eyes to see it before anyone else. To see how we can go out with a bang. <laughs> a bitter little noise that sounded like a laugh, but wasn't a laugh, broke the vocal rhythm. I let myself in late last night. You were out like a light. And set it next to the coffee pot. Set it to auto-brew so you could dive right in when you wake up. Anywho. Not sure when I'll see you again. You being as busy as you are. I want to let you know. We had a hell of a run, man. A hell of a run. We did? He said as parentheses formed at the corner of his mouth. He pressed end on his phone and reversed course toward the manuscript, opening the cupboard above the Mr. Coffee and grabbed a mug. He plucked the post-it note off the manuscript while filling the mug with coffee. Thick folds formed above his brow as he read the title, A Man Called Boogie. He recited the title out loud as he brought the mug to his lip and took a sip, wincing at the sharp and unusually bitter taste. He laughed nervously. Very funny. Alright, I'll play along. Anthony took the manuscript in one hand, coffee in the other, and made for the cognac-coloured love seat in the living room and settled in. As he adjusted himself, his mind began to feel foggy, like someone had poured molasses over his interior gears. Hmm, he said. Thought I got a good sleep, but my head is killing me. Oh well, it is what it is, he assured himself, then spiked his eyebrows, shook his head, took a big gulp of coffee and began reading. Long shadows stapled to the love seat, swept from left to right as he read the story from sun up to sun down, not getting up once, not even to eat or piss. It was that good. No, it was real. The story's protagonist was eerily similar to Anthony, having lived a life that was a carbon copy of his own. A seven-year-old boy named Boogie, who slept in late on Saturdays while the birds serenaded him, played co-ed soccer with his classmates after school, did the bare minimum when it came to homework, and had two parents that asked him what the best part of the day was at supper time. Though it wasn't exactly a pleasant conversation, more often than not. I want to be a writer when I grow up, Anthony would exclaim at the dining table from time to time. Anthony, please, his mother would almost beg him. Don't get your father start. God damn it, his father would say, still dressed in full auto shop uniform, dropping his knife and fork mid-cut through a slab of beef and slam a fist on the table. If I've told you once... Then I've told you a thousand times, you little bastard. You're gonna be a real man when you leave this house, you hear? He'd raise his oil-stained hands, his eyes moving between them and Tony before continuing. A real man works with his hands. 
keeps his mind from wandering and fantasizing about God knows what, especially writing. Lord knows how many of those writing fags end up blowing their heads off. And for what? I'll tell you. Because they can't hack it. Plain and simple. His father would then jab an accusatory finger into his shoulder like a fire poker. We are not having this conversation again. Are we clear, Boogie? His mother would perch her elbows on the table, clasping her hands together and shaking her head empathetically. I wish you wouldn't call him that, John. What? His father would say, leaning back into his chair. He'd look down at the name tag sewn onto his uniform. Boogie, it read. Boy needs a nickname, just like I need some more of them taters. Be a doll and fetch me some. Please, Anthony would say, reaching a helping hand toward his father. Allow me. That's the spirit, his father would say. A man uses his hands. Fast learner. We'll make a man out of you yet, Boogie. Tell you what. After dinner, you and I will load some of the shit in the garage in the back of the Silverado. Sound good? The pleasantries didn't end when the sun retreated toward the horizon, and the sky turned from blue to the colour of bruised skin when the sickle-shaped moon peered through his window like a slitted eye of a dead man. That was when he came out to play. That dark and sinister figure of mystery. You could never see him. But every night at bedtime, Anthony made damn sure to get into a sprinter's stance before flicking the light switch off, leaping toward the bed once darkness blanketed the room. The closet was cracked open, and it always was. It might as well have been an open invitation for him to come in and turn Anthony's reality into his perverted playground. Tony. His voice would slither out of the closet. Anthony would go stiff, breaking out in a cold sweat as if a serpent had bit him. Please, allow me. Anthony never saw him, but he never saw Jesus Christ either, and he was taught to believe in him no matter what. So who's to say he isn't as real as the Son of Man? If someone believes in good, then by default, he must believe in evil. And he wasn't just evil. He was everything any person ever feared. A culmination of all of life's what-if moments. Plausible events hijacking one's consciousness. And a feeling of being watched that was more certain than death or taxes. That's what he was. And he's been eating Anthony's thoughts since he was seven years old. What sounded like footsteps creaked on the floorboards upstairs. Anthony licked his lips then swallowed. Hello. His voice cracked. No one answered. He pulled his shirt away from his chest a couple of times as he suddenly felt hot and cold simultaneously. Probably just the house settling, he thought. Then he brought his gaze down again to the manuscript. His heart skipped a beat and then made up for lost time. He blinked rapidly as his eyes protested what they were reading. Then came the sound of footsteps from the hallway upstairs. Hello, he asked again, hearing nothing but his heart thundering in his chest. His eyes felt like they were underwater as he swept the room. Then over his shoulder and out the window stood a mysterious figure under the streetlight. It looked like it was made of shadows. 
Anthony's breath tore in and out of him like hot straw as he tried to make out any features on the dark silhouette. He heard the bedroom door wide open and snapped vision toward the staircase. Nothing. His eyes widened with cat-like fervor as he swung a look back out the living room window. The silhouette had been replaced by a yellow-orange halo on the road, and a cloud of dust carried gently in the wind. A soft knock came at the front door, soft like a cat's questioning paw. Who's there? His lips barely flinched as he said it. No one answered. His hands trembled on the armrests. He looked to the window again, this time seeing only his reflection. His face was drawn and hard, and glistening with blood droplets clinging to it, staining the colour of his white shirt. He pushed himself to a stand, slowly, and made for the front door. His legs wobbled like stacks of pencil erasers. He turned the latch vertical, then wiped his slick hand on his pant leg before turning the knob. Tony came from upstairs, followed by more footsteps. As if out of self-preservation, his mind reminded him of where he left off on the manuscript. Then came the sound of footsteps from the hallway upstairs. He zigzagged back to the love seat, licking his finger and turning the page. Nothing else was written. The page that followed was fish white, completely blank. His eyes fluttered to the same rhythm of his rising heart rate as he turned another page. Then another. More of the same. All that's missing is an ending. Which is exactly why I wanted your eyes to see it before anyone else. To see how we can go out with a bang. Fuck this. He said, just louder than a whisper. Son of a bitch stops paying rent in my head tonight. Sick of this shit. When he turned back toward the staircase, he keeled over, feeling struck by an awful and sudden blow. Ugh, he let out. Feels like I'm... like my organs stopped working. After a few deep breaths, he placed a hand on the love seat's armrest for balance, then reached for the lampshade as he slowly bridged the gap between him and the staircase. When he reached the first step, he staggered for a moment in a drunken manner, then tilted his head back looking at the closet at the top of the stairs. It was cracked open. It took nearly everything he had to make the climb upstairs, feeling more of his strength escape with every step. He shut the closet door, and an indescribable thump immediately came from his bedroom. Normally, it would have startled him, but the overwhelming sick feeling suppressed his ability to react, much less allowed him to think clearly as conscience and curiosity tugged him in opposite directions. Curiosity won. Feeling heavier than a heart soaked in guilt, Anthony pushed the bedroom door open only halfway before a flat thud reverberated from the door's lower corner up to the knob. He pulled the door back a tad, turned sideways sucking in his gut and slid through the space. The smell made him choke on his own vomit. It was Anthony, on the floor, at least one month dead, maybe longer. Anthony saw himself lying face up, 
9mm in his hand with a blackish-red chasm in his right temple. Grey brain fragments seeped out the other side of his head, like an overfilled zit spilling between the floorboards. He looked like a zombie, bones wrapped in a loose, wax-like skin. His eyes were leaden, and his mouth twisted as if he was smiling at him, hating him from the other side of the grave. Please said the same hoarse voice from earlier that morning from behind him. Anthony's neck creaked like a rusty hinge as he turned around slowly to see him. A tall man with a black auto shop uniform stood at the top of the staircase, just outside the closet. A patch with his name sewn in cursive featured prominently above his breast pocket. It read, Boogie. His skin was greyer than a weathered headstone. The silver rings that were his eyes flashed through the filthy veil of snarled hair. He had no mouth, but Anthony could see him eating his thoughts all the same. Please, the man said again, reaching out a twitching hand and staggering toward him like a badly controlled puppet. Allow me. Anthony closed his eyes as he stood in the darkness, knowing the darkness wasn't really dark. It was reddish and moving and peaceful. He stood there with his eyes shut and saw nothing but a red darkness that was his pistol's flashlight being filtered through the delicate screen of capillaries in his eyelids. He felt the cold steel of the barrel against his temple and birds. He could hear birds. You've been listening to the Night's End podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. A Man Called Boogie was written by Hunter Charneski. To connect with Hunter, visit his website at huntercharneski.com or send him an email at hunter at huntercharneski.com or chase him down at Twitter at hunt underscore cheesy with a Z. This episode was narrated by James Barnett. James is a podcast producer, writer, and voice actor from Australia. To connect with James, head over to Twitter or Instagram, at Jimmy Horrors. Or for more of his work, head to jamesbarnettcreative.com. Jimmy Horrors was performed by James Barnett. Abigail was performed by Erica Ventura. Erica is a mother, narrator, visual artist, and animal husbandry technician. You can check out some of her artwork on Instagram at EFVENTU or you can visit her artist page at facebook.com forward slash bioartsy. All links are in the description. This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review and a five-star rating as it helps us reach more people. And as always... Stay horrific, everyone. <laughs>